I would like to acknowledge the Darawal people, the Aboriginal people of Australia whose country I live and work on. I would like to pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging, and thank them for sharing their cultural knowledge and awareness with us. I'm Tricia Carter, an organisational psychologist and explorer of cultural intelligence. I'm on a quest to discover what enables us to see things from different perspectives, especially different cultural perspectives, and why sometimes it's easier than others to experience those moments of awareness, the shifts in thinking. As those of you who have listened to some of the earlier episodes will be aware, cultural intelligence CQ, the capability to be effective in situations of diversity, is made up of four areas, motivational, knowledge, metacognitive, behavioral. Today, we want to look through some of these aspects as we think about communication with our comms expert, Sarah Black. Sarah is a global communications consultant, a trainer and podcaster with over 30 years of communications experience. She is a former board director of a full-service, multi-award-winning global PR and content agency, and a fellow and accredited practitioner of the Chartered Institute of Public Relations. She has also held in-house positions in non-profit organizations in Northern Ireland and the US. She's an expert at working and communicating across cultures, having lived and worked in Norway, the US, and the UK. Sarah has trained with the Cultural Intelligence Center as I have, and she will complete their cultural intelligence and train the trainer certifications in early 2024. Sarah, welcome. Great to have you here. Thank you, Tricia. It's it's fabulous to be with you. I'm looking forward to, to talking with you about all the things that we have ahead of us, but I mm. want to start with our normal questions. So Sarah, what is a culture other than the culture you grew up in that you have learned to love and appreciate? Mm. This is such a great question, Tricia. And I actually had a lot of fun thinking about it at the weekends in preparation for this. Um, and I think my answer is Norway. Ooh. But one of my reflections on this was, um, for those of you that, that maybe recognise the accent, I'm from Belfast, grew up in Northern Ireland. And so I will quite often say that Northern Ireland is very culturally different from both um, Ireland and um, the rest of the UK, but particularly England. I think we've got quite a bit of affinity with the Scottish, which is where I now live. Um, and so in some ways, cultures that I have learned to appreciate and love are actually Irish and English cultures because mm -hmm. I am different. I am not quite the same as people who grew up in those cultures. Very similar in the grand scheme of things, but there's also differences um, but I was fortunate enough to live in Norway for two and a half years and I completely fell in love with Norway and so and therefore with the culture. Um, and I look back now, it was my first um, expat globally mobile, globally mobile experience. And I wish I had known a lot more about cultural intelligence when I made that move. Yeah. Um, I think I would have had a deeper, even a deeper respect, understanding of Norwegian culture than I, I do um, but I think I love the sort of pragmatism 
Mm. Um, about it you know Norway is not always blessed with great weather and there's a kind of a Norwegian while the weather is good we will go and ski the work Mm -hmm. will be there there's a little bit of that sort of attitude um and definitely um in my experience a place where you know you don't have bad days just have bad gear um (laughs) which a lot of outdoors people will say um but I think a healthy respect for mother nature a very much a lifestyle that was about making the most out of the outdoors and the good space and um, things like that and also sort of a great sense of um sense of, sort of pragmatism um and community mindedness mm. and struck by things like the way in which they constructed the deal when oil was first found right and the yeah. taxation to bring it in on shore to create the the, the oil fund um that there's free third level education yeah um, i could even about that here yeah like, and so in some ways, a very different sociopolitical model than I would have grown up with. Um, and I was fascinated by that and really intrigued by it. Um, and um, I, quite often, because we know each other quite well, people will talk about me being quite direct. I think we refer to it as going a bit Belfast. Um, and Norwegians are perhaps even more direct than I am. And I appreciated that greatly. Um, I remember one of, one of my Norwegian friends saying to me, but we are such a small language, Sarah, that... We don't have very many words. We just say it. Um, <laughs> and um, certainly that was, that was my experience. There was sort of a straightforwardness about, not an unkindness in any way, but a straightforwardness. Um, and I I loved it. And I where we were living was quite a, an expat, very multicultural, um, multinational kind of city. And so sometimes it was hard to meet Norwegians, but I think if you could seek out the opportunities. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad that I did. And certainly there was museums and art and lots and lots of things to explore. And so um, I think because we have very happy memories there, it was a, a culture that I embraced as much as I could. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. It's a place I hope to visit. Mm, it's extraordinary. And I still, I, I will say, yes, sorry about the pronunciation, folks. I did learn, I did take a year of Norwegian classes and I speak a little tiny bit. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm wondering too if you can tell us about a time when you experienced the shift. So when you suddenly became aware of a new perspective. Yeah, and this was really interesting. I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I suppose two two moments, two experiences, but they're connected to the same sort of shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I vividly remember as a child finding out for the first time that there were Protestants and Catholics which um, anybody who knows their Northern Ireland, their Belfast history, or has even seen the movie with Jamie Dornan, will know that's a bit of a thing for where I grew up, that there still is polarisation, there still is segregation, um, certainly public housing and education and all those sorts of things, and that we've had a terrible legacy of sectarianism and violence. Um, And so I grew up in a kind of slightly, I think, atypical household in that I will often say we were Protestant just because we weren't Catholic, and Northern Ireland's very zero sum, like you're one or the other. There's no, like we do joke that if you're anything else, we'll ask you, are you a Protestant or a Catholic, Buddhist, Muslim, Jew, whatever. Right. Um, um, and so I do remember, and I think we were on holiday um, with, and we'd met kids from Dublin, and there was some conversation about them saying to their dad, or, you know, we go going to Mass tomorrow, and we're saying to my dad, what's well, Mass, and why don't we go to it? <laughs> And, and I mean, in fairness to my dad, we didn't go to church at all, which was very unusual for my generation in Northern Ireland. And I don't remember his answer. I'm sure it was very good. Um, 
his history and politics teacher, I'm sure it was excellent. Um, but it was the first time that I became aware that there were differences mm. and that they were, they somehow mattered. Um, and I do now know that I find, I came to that realization very late. I think mm. I was probably eight or nine. And there's now research that kids as long as three or four will be aware of difference and have a, a, a bias, if you like, a negative bias. Yeah. Um, and then later as a as a young adult, in my early 20s, doing a, a year out, a year's contract um, in a community relations project in Belfast. And as part of that, doing a project called Journey into Understanding, which was really an encounter group for Protestants and Catholics to come together and talk about differences and what they believed and what they didn't believe um, and, and the differences. And part of that was was doing a tour of different churches on the Armour Road in Belfast. Um, and so I think we did Church of Ireland, Presbyterian and Catholic Church and being struck by the difference in the physicality of those places and what they looked like and what they felt like and what the experience was like and, and listening to people who believed quite different things from me um, and being able to hold those perspectives and not go, well, that's better or worse or that's just different. Um, and so that was probably a shift for me, just deepening my understanding of what those differences were and how much they impacted not just personal faith, but what the physical expression of that faith looked like in, in a building mm. or in an atmosphere in a building. Mm. Um, and so those are things that um, I think I continue to reflect on and to to think about the things that make us different and why they become such a big deal yeah I'm thinking about your parents and how they must have raised you with such the word that comes to mind is grace um mm. because they didn't give you any of those biases which would have been so unique in that environment I mean you grew up without an awareness of that difference which mm. Yeah, and I didn't appreciate that till I was older because you don't know what you don't know. No, exactly. I will often say I have a, a very, very good friend um, back home who's also called Sarah, and uh, she's from a different background and upbringing than I had. And we were having a deep, I think she must have been going to a um, a Protestant funeral. We were having a big conversation about it one day. She's like, so what happens and how do you do that? And I was yes. like, just. It's a long time since I've been to one. Hang on, I'm going to phone a friend. And um, and I can't remember what we're talking about, but I do remember her turning to me and she said, I don't really think about you as being anything, you know? And I thought that's one of the nicest things anybody's ever said to me. <laughs> um, because we're, I, you know, I come from a place where you're either one or the other. You're yeah. labelled very, very clearly. Yeah. Um, you know, what school you go to, it's what games you play. Um, despite what some people might have been told when they were growing up, you can't tell from looking at us. Um, though that is a thing right that you can tell because the eyes are closer together whatever nonsense oh my um God. but I do remember her saying that and I thought that's that's great I'm okay with that mm, mm. it wasn't that she was saying I don't think of you as being a spiritual building but mm. being or something doesn't have faith I just don't think if you was having a label yes yeah she, she wasn't putting it into the box yeah and because there is like a, a mythical sorting hat where I come from mm. um and now but, I'm wishing that's changing a lot generationally. I have to say that's, you know, we are making progress. That's great. But yeah. she and I are of a generation where we remember, you know, different things or we're subjected to different things or aware of different things in our society. And now I'm wishing we had Dr. Mark from last week here because we could talk to him about, you know, if the faces don't change, 
do you still yeah. you know how do you still build that recognition of us and them um mm. so that, that there's a lot of um a lot of interesting work on signs and symbols mm. in that context and the little things like school uniforms right of course you can football shirts I mean I, I don't know if it's still true anybody listening to this in Belfast help me out Northern Ireland um but certainly when I was working there a lot of organizations would have had a policy that you didn't wear soccer shirts to work because teams have affiliations yeah. so yeah things like that mm. would have been cues so and that's what the research shows about young about preschool children picking up um visual cues so it's not faces but it's um a football shirt or it's an address or it's where you go to school or it's um, what kind of clerical color you work, whether you're a priest or a, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, a, a Methodist minister or whatever, apparently some of those things that they will then go, well, that's not, that's not for me. That's not good kind of association. And I guess too, if you are going to mass, um, as I grew up, you would have a constant group of people around you. So you would identify those people and those people mm. would be the same every Sunday um yeah. a small town anyway yeah yeah oh, yeah and where I'm from is nearly all small towns so yeah, yeah. where um, people live whether you, where you go to school is a big thing mm. but we do now have increasing integrated education which is wonderful so it's wonderful that you had that shift but without any negativity any prejudice any bias your parents just mm. made you aware that there were differences without yeah. um without bias or favor and I mean I think I think we probably all still hold bias because we have a bias against what we don't know yes, yes. Um, and what we're not familiar with because if I was taken to church my grandparents did take me to church and so I still have a sense of bias in that I'm un I'm still unfamiliar with certain things mm. you know I didn't, I didn't go to a Gaelic game uh until my mid-20s didn't know yeah. I was mid right <laughs> I just so um there's lots of there's lots of bits and pieces that I don't know if it's biased much and I don't have a negative association about it but it's it's something I don't still don't know enough about or understand enough about or it's different in my upbringing oh well that was really interesting but I also want to dive into your expertise so which you know you, you have gained through growing up and through being educated in that environment through working in Northern Ireland in yeah. a communication situation so I, I want to come to your comms experience and look through mm -hmm. that lens of, of cultural intelligence and creating a shift and because I've worked with you full disclosure I've worked with Sarah in a number of working mm -hmm. situations and so I know there's a number of pieces of key advice you'll always be telling organizations um you know, and I recall you used it saying, remember who you're speaking to, Tricia, remember who you're talking to as we were writing something or or knowing what we were going to be presenting in different situations. And keep it simple is always one of your things as well. And then through a really big piece of work that I did with you, um, the inclusivity of communication. So those are mm. three key things that I know that you're always preaching is the wrong word, but um, that you're always. Oh, really sometimes I do. <laughs> get a bit preaching it's okay sometimes I do yeah yeah but maybe there's others and maybe those are just the ones that I've picked mm. up but I, I guess um, I want to just reflect on those for a moment and think about them in terms of you know cultural intelligence and how your expertise in each of those areas um, works to help people with whatever it is that they're communicating 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating. I think one of, I mean, and I've talked to you about this. Um, I think if I could, there's a lot of things I would change in the world if I suddenly had a magic wand or some kind yeah. of superpowers. But one of them is, I think anybody where I would love for anybody working in communications full time as a communications professional, consultant, in house, whatever, to understand cultural intelligence because mm-hmm. I think it's a game changer. Um, I think we talk a lot about emotional intelligence and communication, and I think we as a profession haven't quite got the CQ. And I think it's, um, I think it's so valuable. I think one of the things that I've been reflecting on having done more CQ training recently is what you often talk about is the perspective taking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that really ties into the who you're talking to. Yeah. And that's having that drive to understand the audience and then to think about your thinking mm. and to have that um to be able to take the knowledge to build the right kind of strategy to build to change your action depending on what you then know about your audience and their perspective and to be able to hold that lightly so that you don't bring a value judgment and so one of the things if you want to be effective in your communication you've got to think about the audience and the people and that can be cultural in the sense of national culture but also a um, great piece of work done last year by Jenny Field, who I've had the pleasure of working with, and Benjamin Ellis at Social Optic, um, and she presented it together. And they were talking about deskless and desk-based workers. Mm. And I was like in the corner going, it's cultural, it's cultural. <laughs> um, because that was the impact for me. And I suddenly went, oh, it's, you know, all this stuff about deskless workers not being engaged is actually to do with they use communication quite differently. Their communication preferences, needs, how they work are so different. That's very much a cultural difference. And so I think, um, huge sweeping statement coming here, but I think as communications professionals, we often look at audiences and um, might do sort of the demographic thing or go, this is for moms or whatever, the, you yeah. know, or who's it's the internal audience or it's, you know, um, it's these people or whatever. But I think really having... CQ as a framework to drive into what's their perspective what are they sitting with how do I adapt the communication to mm-hmm. resonate with them to actually build that um, connection mm-hmm. to engage with them um, to be relevant I think that I just find the CQ framework so useful for that and um, it's made me reflect on some of what I do around audiences Yes, we talk to them and and how we communicate. And I think in a world where we are all basically overwhelmed with communication, you know, we're all exhausted. Our brains are all a little bit like, stop. Yeah. Um, I I resonated very strongly with Mark saying last week, if we all just slowed down, we'd get more done. Um, And that applies to the speed of communication. I think being able to take that step back and hold the perspective and see other people's points of view on issues and then tempering and adjusting and adapting your communications accordingly is, is the only way to really be truly effective in today's world. Right. Um, I think particularly now as communication technology gets more sophisticated, we can tailor, we can adapt. Um, but it's it's things like, you know, if you have deskless workers, why are you sending them emails? <laughs> if, yes. if that's, you know... So is it an app? Is it a text? Is it verbal from their manager? What are the shifts that you need to make in how you think about what communication is 
And I think we all fall into the trap sometimes of going, well, it's emails or it's newsletters or it's whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and I think you've heard me say this before that we're, I think we're all, if we're being really honest, guilty. And I have briefed people to do this to my shame, um, focusing on what it is we want to say. And that we need to tell people this or the three points we need to get across this interview are, um, and not enough thinking about what is the perspective of the people I want to engage with. What's the perspective of the listener? What are they sitting with? How is this landing with them? And I think quite often we think about culture in the global sense. And I think just any line of difference, you know, if if I'm talking to the engineering department and I'm a creative and I'm used to talking to creatives, do I need to adapt my style to engage with the engineering department? I'm married to an engineer, full disclosure. There's a lot of personal adaptation goes on. Um, so I'm not, not saying there's a difference. Um, but in thinking about all of those things and in thinking, um, I mean, another big shift that I had recently was thinking a lot about how we talk about disability. Yes. And yes. I, because that was a shift we always went through together. Yes. Um, and that was, I, I thought I knew things and I didn't, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very grateful to Sarah Thornhurst for helping me be better. Um, but having to relearn language because I was thinking about it from my perspective. And I wasn't thinking about how it was landing mm. with with disabled people. And so really having the drive to and the curiosity to dig deep into that, I think is so important and so valuable. Um, and that's I think why I get quite passionate about CQ and communication. Because I think there's a natural and a natural affinity there. Um, in the same way that we would talk about, you know, adapting your management style, readership style, high power, low power any of the values metrics you know you need to think about official communication styles emails again how you do it the manner in which you do it Mm. um in different ways and that speaks then into inclusivity because you you feel that communication is tailored to you yes and understands your um pain or confusion or don't careness or whatever your your mindset might be or your position might be or it's written and targeted for you in a way that makes it relevant mm. and I'm, I'm you know as you're talking I'm, I'm thinking about it's really you know our aim to make communications inclusive because mm. we're not going to shift people if we're continuously leaving them out and most yes. communication wants to shift it wants yeah wants to get people to do something different or mm. I mean sometimes I guess there's just communication to inform maybe um Yes. And I think what I would say is, even if it's not to shift, because sometimes it's not to shift, but you always want a response or a reaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So even if I'm just saying to you, Tricia, tea break will now be at 11 o'clock, not at 10. Right? You might never take your tea break, but you might know, but it, <laughs> you might be very hardworking. Um, but I think that often you just, even though I'm just saying we have a new product coming out, I don't need you to do anything about it. It doesn't affect your division, your bit of the business your geography it's just for information I still want you to internalize it Mm. learn it acknowledge it think about it but be aware it's one of my least favorite words I'm like what does that mean to be aware in in communications terms um how do you measure that you can actually but um I think we always need to go beyond awareness always feels like a bit of a cop-out for me (laughs) but um I think that 
thinking about inclusivity is is just good communication. Mm. Uh, and I think I'm paraphrasing somebody smarter than me when I say that. But if you want to be effective, you have to be inclusive. There's, and it's as simple as there's no point in having this really important, potentially life altering thing that you want to say to the world. If people can't read it, see it, hear it, understand it. Um, and so that affects the languages, the formats, the channels, the platforms that you make it available in. Um, and that's a lot to hold in your head as a communications professional. Yeah. Why teams and diversity of thought are important. But again, it takes you back to that cultural intelligence, that constantly wanting to learn about other audiences and how they best communicate and how they um, how you can engage best with them. Hmm. It's um, it's sort of a constant challenge, but a really great one at the same time. So if we are wanting to communicate in a way to, to make some sort of shift, to help people to see things differently, think differently, behave differently, ultimately, what what are you thinking about from a comms perspective that would be different than just you know we want to we want you to know that we have a new product? What has to be different so about many things? Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's such a great question. Um, I think you can't ask, expect people to behave differently if you don't tell them what the desired behavior is. Mm-hmm. So it's like you know. And and some of that will come down to whether you're in a direct or an indirect context, perhaps, right? Yeah. Um, so you might take the short direct route or you might take the long route. Um, it'd be more hints and nudges and subtle suggestions, or it might be a bit more, we really want you all to come to work at nine o'clock, not half past. Um, and again, all of all of the cultural values, CQ model kind of helps you to understand fit into that right how power context is it an instruction do we put it in the rules because that's how you will be able to internalize that and and comply to that yeah. and i think there's an interesting case study on um netflix in japan who made feedback um part of the rules because it's the only way that they could get their their japanese colleagues to do it the way that they did it in the states um so i think it's about understanding what will help what the barriers are what will help people to engage with the change I think it's also repetition. We're also overwhelmed that nobody is hearing a message once and remembering it, right. much less translating it into action. Um, I quite often do an exercise at workshops where I ask people just to turn everything off. And if they're comfortable to they turn their video off, they're signed off. And if they're comfortable to close their eyes just for 30 seconds hmm. and just try and like have a little rest. But then I also ask them to think about their day and think about how many pieces of communication they have um, observed, participated in. And that's everything from did your partner, spouse, significant other want coffee this morning? Did you offer them coffee? Did If you've got kids, what kind of cereal? What was the discussion about being late and who's got what gym kit? And oh, that's all communication. Mm-hmm. Was there a radio on? Were you looking at your phone? Was it WhatsApp, email, social media? You think of all, like our, our poor brains are just like, mm-hmm. um, and so if you're trying to affect change in that and you're going to be doing it across lines of difference, then you do need to be, um, you need to adapt the communication and the strategy depending on the cultural context um, so that it resonates and it's relevant. But I think you also need to be prepared to repeat and nudge um, so that it shows up in lots of different places mm. and there's an attempt to get to some kind of consistency um, I quite often say clarity but I've been reflecting a bit on that recently about whether my 
definition of clarity is very Western biased. And I suspect that it is. Um, not to suspect, I know it is. And so I've been reflecting a bit on that about what clarity means. Mm. And and yes, I want to say it as plainly, as simply as I can, so that as many people as possible understand it. But just, I mean, that's kind of a shift that I'm sort of working through, if you like, is just thinking about where that um I'll say Western for the purposes of brevity kind of influence comes in about how we communicate and what that looks like. And so those are things to reflect on. Um, but I do think unless you give people structure and the how to and the clarity of what we want and why, um, it can be quite difficult to change behavior. And I think it was Jenny Field who said last year, tell them, tell them, tell them. And then when you think you've told them enough, tell them again. Right. Yes. And again, it's that. Sometimes we think one piece of communication and people will just know and mm. understand. Oh, and again, back to the overwhelm thing. And then if you're overwhelmed and you think about your day like that and all the things that you've absorbed, think about doing it if you're not operating in your first language. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your brain is translating or if you have a visual or auditory impairment that makes it difficult for you to understand or that you know you don't just can't do it at the same speed as everybody else you're you know there's barriers to you accessing the communication Mm. that there shouldn't be frankly um and think about how exhausting that is and Mm. quite often organizations leaders go well I told you and you're like that was one email six months ago amongst the 11 (laughs) million emails that I've seen since then yeah you know we just because it's super important to us we don't have the perspective of, you know, it's not necessary. It's not as accessible to me. You haven't made it relevant to me. You haven't made it easy for me. And I am sitting here in a constant state of, um, and I can remember that gif I saw last night on Instagram, but I have no idea what you said to me in the meeting yesterday, <laughs> which, you know, we've all been there. That's right. um, so I think that's that again, it's perspective taking. It's thinking mm-hmm. about the audience and having a deep understanding and empathy for them and really also being able to kind of dial down into the specifics of what your audience looks like and who they are and what's going on with them and and trying to understand how they might receive the message. And so balancing that crafting of what you want them to know and how you want them to behave with their kind of receptive state for that, how will that land? You know, it's the classic case of I think I'm being super polite but in a different culture, I'm being incredibly rude. Um, and we often just, we might see that in a national or a regional culture situation, but we don't mm. always see it in a kind of a mass organizational culture situation. And often organizational cultures are like, what do you mean you don't want that? Like you, you need that in a language other than English. Your head office culture will dominate the communication style. I'm, I'm thinking too, because so often this is something that you do and indeed I worked through a situation with you some years ago at the beginning of the pandemic when we had to change, we had to cancel a conference Mm -hmm. that was a much-loved conference and that people were dearly looking forward to. And this was very early in the pandemic, so we were sort of ahead um, when we cancelled it. But by the time it would have been held, um, it would have had to have been cancelled anyway. But we cancelled it. So I'm wondering if when you're communicating in a crisis and you know the communication is going to come across differently, does this, what changes? And, you know, yeah, how does does the crisis aspect impact on all of these things you're saying about inclusivity and taking into account all of these aspects? I think it just makes them more important. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
I, the definition that I tend to carry of crisis is it's a threat to life or livelihood and everything else is an issue. Um, so and that's probably in a crisis. <laughs> yeah. No, but so, it's, okay. the point is still valid. I mean, there were people who were very distressed by that for lots of, like lots of emotional, psychosocial reasons. Um, because yes. it was a chance to be with people they wouldn't they would never maybe see otherwise. Um, but I think this is where cultural intelligence becomes even to me even more important because you are often dealing with people who are deeply traumatized. Hmm. And so being able to take their perspective and understand how much how difficult it is for them to process information. And I think also, and I'm hopeful there's more work on this. I've I've read some really interesting things about this recently, that in a really difficult crisis situation, um, I'm thinking of, you know, awful things like mass school shootings. Mm-hmm. There's still people doing communicating. There's law enforcement. There's all kinds of people in the midst of that, all of whom are running on adrenaline, high levels of stress, um, dealing with various levels of trauma, dealing with various levels of grief and loss and all kinds of things. And to be able to take other people's perspective in communicating there is so incredibly important because it's actually beyond the communication. There's a kind of a um, a wider social responsibility to not make things more difficult than they have to be. And sometimes if you're a communications professional in that situation, you are dealing with quite difficult things. Um, you are having to report on very difficult things or explain difficult things or answer the phone to very distressed members of the public, mm-hmm. families, um, situations like that. And so being self-aware of how you show up in that situation um, is incredibly important. Um, and sometimes, I mean, the thing about a crisis is that you don't often have time to prepare, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, you're working out how you show up in that situation. Um and there's a lot to be said for crisis preparedness and thinking through the awful things that could happen. Um, I'd say if you're interested in learning more about crisis, my go-to is Amanda Coleman, and I recommend her writing. And she had a lovely example of what happens when you don't understand the audience. Not a lovely example. It's a horrible example. It made me very cross the weekend. Um, but she was writing about a school shooting in Texas, and she was quoting from a report on it. And... I think the context was that the local community was predominantly Spanish speaking and yet all the official communication about the incident went out in English. Um, And then a a good friend I was talking to about this today made the point that depending on the community, that if written, you know, recorded voice communication Mm -hmm. would have been better than verbal because you can't always assume that people might depend on the level of literacy. Mm. Um, So some people might have had good reading English but would have struggled to understand, you know, spoken and so on. Um, and, oh, just all kinds of things that you think that's, they haven't taken the audience perspective or the community perspective on that as well as perhaps they they could have. And that ability to adapt the communication strategy that would have been perfect in 16 other places within a hundred miles. Yes. But in, but in this community. And in this situation. And in this situation. And so understanding those things, I think, is so fundamentally important. And also understanding, again, thinking about cultural values, thinking about that framework, um, thinking about power and distance, thinking about power full stop in a crisis. Um, Mm. And 
you know, if you're working with something like the police that's very organized and very structured and has a clear right. way of yeah, working yeah. Um, versus dealing with the community or individuals, you know, and just being able to adapt across those things so that you can understand where they might be coming from in their communication style. And quite often, if you're the communications person in the middle of that, you're trying to unpack all those things, hold them all at once and spin them and deal with the journalist at the same time. So, yeah, I I think that's why, again, why I feel strongly that working through CQ can be really helpful for communications professionals because those situations are tough for everybody. Yeah, there's so much to think about. And yet so often when we think of the communications within an organisation, we just think somebody's sitting down and writing something. Um, for often for somebody else to deliver or to come out from somebody else's email, but that person, and yet I can see, and you know, through working with you over the years, I have deep respect for the expertise that is required and the skill that you have and your colleagues in the industry. Um, and yeah, like you, I think uh, their their skills could be enhanced with cultural intelligence, but definitely see the power of of well-crafted, well-thought-out communication from professionals who care, I think, is the bit that you've shown us as you've been speaking. So I think having that deep empathy for your audiences, sometimes that's really hard. And and sometimes you're dealing with audiences whose experiences are so far removed from you that, you know, unpacking some of that bias as well is a a good thing. Um, I'm I'm slightly scared, but that, you know, there is an issue within the industry in the UK about diversity. Hmm. And so how does that show up then in the communications that we create? And so lots of really interesting things to think about and unpack. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for your time. I'm sure many people want to keep following you and to learn from you. So I will put in the show notes. I will, uh, as we've been talking, I thought, oh, I'll have to put that in the show notes. So there's a few that I'll be chasing up and listening to again. But I will put Sarah's LinkedIn so you can follow thank her. You. On LinkedIn. She has a newsletter which is published on news on LinkedIn as well. So you can sign up to her newsletter. And she has a podcast called The Quick Dip. Um, that's me with my Aussie accent, with my Kiwi accent, it'd be the quick dip. Um, so you can sign up to that podcast uh, on your preferred podcast provider. Uh, season two is coming very soon. You can refresh season one, which was Um, great at sort of building your understanding of comms through a whole lot of different lenses. Is there anything else you'd like people to do, Sarah? Um, Would you like me to reference anything else in the show notes? No, I think that's lots. Thank you. Um, I'll try and remember all the people that I've mentioned when you call me about them afterwards and uh, provide some other resources. But um, yes, and if you are working in communications and um, maybe you've already discovered CQ or maybe something you're applying to your work. I'd love to talk to you because I'd love to learn about how you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And this is something that Sarah is working on as well so that she can spread the word more among communications professionals. So I'm sure if you connect with her on LinkedIn, you'll be hearing more about this in the future. Thank you so much, Sarah. Really appreciate it. And for those of you who are listening, we'd love if you could... Um, If you're listening on one of the podcast apps, if you could like us or rate us, please give us a good rating um, and share it with your friends so that other people can hear about this podcast as well. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you, Tricia.